1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Keep the Flame Alive, the podcast for fans of the Olympics and Paralympics. If you love the games, we are the show for you. Each week, we share stories from athletes and people behind the scenes to help you have more fun watching the games. I am your host, Jill Gers, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello, I've how are you? I've got my
0: apples and sugar cubes, so I am ready for today's show.
1: <laughs> yes, this is a big equestrian themed day. I'm very excited about it because we don't often talk about equestrian. It's not one of our strengths,
0: but it's always fun watching. And, and we do know about I it. I do love the horses. I do love them. You know, I've only ridden <laughs> horses do. like a half a dozen times in my life, and I don't know anything about them, but I love them.
1: <laughs> well, we are. Back from Podfest Expo, we actually got to hang out in person. I know it was a little strange. (laughs) Strange but awesome. And we got to learn a lot from Podfest Expo. We talked there as well about how we organized our time in China. So that was very cool. And we learned a lot of new stuff. So you may be seeing some changes
0: on the show coming up.
1: We're very maybe we'll get a horse.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've talked about having mascot, so Maybe we need, maybe Shuklistan needs an official horse along with its official fox.
1: <laughs> Put
0: that on the list. <laughs>
1: okay. So, Horse Talk Part 1. We are talking movie club today. Film Buff Fran is back with a Japloup, the 2013 French film set in the world of equestrian show jumping. Take a listen. Fran, welcome back. We are talking Jabloup. The movie about the horse that took Seoul 1988 by storm. Tell us all about it.
2: Well, this is a foreign language film, which is a little deviation from us. I think the last one we did was Gold and we loved gold. This movie was made in 2013. It is directed by Christian Duguay and it stars Guillaume Canet as Pierre Durand, who is the equestrian who ends up buying Japaloup from their owner and turning him into an Olympic champion. You know what? I didn't know what to expect from this movie. I didn't know anything about the equestrian. I purposely didn't look to see what happened in both the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles and the 1988 Seoul Games just so I could just kind of enjoy the movie and see how it all plays out. And I thought this movie was really well done. It just had a lot of heart. It had a lot of feeling. It seemed like it had a very dense core. It just wasn't a sappy movie. And I really, you really felt for all the characters. I think they they gave very different nuanced performances and you really knew how each of them felt. We start out with Pierre as a young boy and you see him doing a different type of equestrian event and he falls off his horse and his mom is petrified. And then she tells her husband, Serge, to switch him to equestrian jumping because it's safer. And she doesn't want her son to get hurt. And so that starts Pierre's lifelong enjoyment of horse riding. And he actually stops riding and decides to become an, a, a lawyer. But then he's pulled back by his love of the sport when they decide to buy Japaloup. What did you both think?
0: I loved it. <laughs> it had all the tropes that we always talk about. The training montage. Oh, yeah. The romance, the, you know, underdog, the come from behind, the tragic death of the father. Oh. The, oh. The losing in '84 to come back and win. And yet the way they put this film together, like you said. The performances were very good. The heart was solid. It did not feel schmaltzy. No, and it had George it Michael, felt, <laughs> and it had some wild music background great. music. Yeah, we had we had some George Michael. We had some Talking Heads. I did not understand why that was there.
2: And we had Donald Sutherland. Rem- what more could you ask for?
0: <laughs> Random cameo by Donald Sutherland as the grizzled American. And the other thing that this had, which we seem to have forgotten as a trope when we go to European movies, namely Chariots of Fire, the obnoxious American athlete who yet has a good, you know, has a good heart and trying to takes it up. So this reminded me in some ways of Chariots of Fire in that it has all the tropes, and yet it came together Mm -hmm. to be a really, really enjoyable film.
1: I would have to agree. When we got to the end, I was like, oh, I really enjoyed it. Really well done. Really good biopic. Mm. I have some issues with the timelines and what what's going on. But, uh, you know, I have a lot of little nitpicky details where I spent a good chunk of the first section of the movie wondering how old he was. And I did a lot of math as, as the dates came up to try to figure out how old is he now? Wait a second. How old was he then?
0: Yeah, nobody aged. The main body of the film, there's the flashback to 74 and then up to 78. Really, so there's about 10 years that this film really covers and <clears throat> nobody ages except their baby Lisa, who between <laughs> two scenes seems to age a year. Like all of a sudden she's a bald baby. And then in the next scene, she's a toddler mm-hmm. with a full head of hair.
1: Right. Well, okay. So in 1974, when they did the original young Pierre doing his eventing, he looked like he was about nine or so. And then all of a sudden, in 1978, he's getting a law degree. (laughs) And I was like, wait a second. How old is he? And it turned out when I did the math, he was supposed to be about 20 in 1974 because huh. I believe he was born in about 1955 so it was closer to 20 and then then that made sense when he was getting the law degree and he was in his mid-20s late 20s by 1980 you know six years after the original race he's a lawyer and he quit jumping because he was mid-20s and he was college and there wasn't like no money in it. I also wondered how long was his wife pregnant and when <laughs> was she pregnant <laughs> because because they had the that scene you know where he said i'm late and she goes so am i (laughs) you know you're like oh she's pregnant but then it looked like they went to the next scene was their wedding and then like a while later i I don't know how long it was until she tells him that she's pregnant she's quitting writing she's gonna quit writing Uh for nine months and so she's been pregnant for a while because she knows and she tells him He's all excited. And then like she's pregnant through the press conference for LA 84 and pregnant, very, very pregnant and in Los Angeles. And I thought, well, this is the 80s. How did they let her fly? But OK, <laughs> and then like she was pregnant after that. And after LA 84, they went to the beach and she's still very pregnant. <laughs> and they're back in France, I think at this point in time, like how much more pregnant she, she was pregnant for a little while longer. And then she had the baby.
0: <laughs> well, I can tell you that sometimes when you are pregnant, Fran knows this better than I. It feels like it's fourteen forever. years.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> it feels. But like yes, I have to agree the the pregnancy timeline and then the baby's aging timeline because then eighty eight comes and the baby's kind of a toddler, but she should be like four. Older. Yeah. It was very, it was very odd. And and then the baby baby also disappeared.
1: It was like, yes, for long. It's like she goes to these races. Like, where's your baby? You just left it with grandma all the time. Like the little kid is a little, I mean, she's
2: a tiny baby. Shouldn't be away from mom. Well, grandma did not want to go to the races. Grandma was not watching. She wanted to be home.
0: She peeled potatoes because it (laughs) eased her stress. Can we talk a little bit about how gorgeous that horse was? Oh, and just the, just the character of Jalouup. I did like that they did not give the horse too much human personality. They gave it a personality. It was a mm-hmm. feisty horse. You had to handle it a certain way. but there weren't a lot of long loving shots into the the horse's mm-hmm. eyes. Just mm-hmm. a couple. And they were quick. So you got a feel of who this horse was, mm-hmm. but it wasn't so anthropomorphized as mm-hmm. we've seen in some other, you know, Black Beauty and National mm-hmm. Velvet and kind of those other horse movies. But I thought it was I really had to cheer for the horse because the horse was short.
2: They did make a big <laughs> deal about how he was only like 15.2 hands high and he was a little feisty, tiny one. But I really felt for Pierre because I think the actor- Guillaume Canet really, he really gave us the friction between his love of the sport and the feeling like, oh, this was like a childhood dream and I need to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And then when he's doing it, he's happy, but he's not. And he wants to go back. And he almost doesn't go back, I feel like, because he doesn't want to seem like he's giving up you know, his profession. Then there was also that conflict between him and his dad. Like, was he doing it for his dad more than himself? And, you know, I thought it was really sweet when they showed the father and son getting in the trailer with the horse to all those shows and showing the real bond between the two men. And then they finally went back into the trailer to have the heart to heart about him coming back to the sport. And the father says to him, you know, give me a break. You're doing this for you. You know, you're doing it for me, but you're also doing it for yourself and own up to it. You want to come back, not just for me. Right. For the first good
1: chunk of the movie, maybe through L.A., I wasn't really getting it because Pierre and Chaploop didn't seem to have that connection or more so Pierre did not have the connection with Chaploop. And I was really upset because I'm like, where is this connection with the horse and the rider? Only to realize that in... The actual story that was part of the problem is that he didn't connect. And I thought that was a really, they did a really good job with that. Mm. And I mean, they made Pierre look like a very much a jerk. Everyone was telling mm-hmm. him, you are a jerk. And he's like, I'm no good. And like, you got to the Olympics, buddy. Right. What, what do you mean you're no good? But it was really interesting to see that kind of transition from a very selfish writer who didn't try to connect to somebody who understood Or or who finally got the message, oh, I need to do something different. And that difference was the way he became the champion.
0: I thought the only somewhat wasted character was Rafiella, who was the trainer, Mm -hmm. who was the only one who could work with Loup. She was the one who could speak his language and connect. And she is the one who tells Pierre, you don't love this horse. You're not connecting with this horse. You have to connect. And that's why the horse refuses to jump for you. And she had a few moments, but I did want a little bit more of her.
1: Yeah, you saw her like in the stable, but you didn't see her out there really like with the horse and the horse really going to her versus or having those moments between the bond. I would agree. And also, Rafael did
2: not age beyond like
0: 16. (laughs) Again, another non-aging person.
2: But you know what? They showed it at the beginning. Like I thought in the beginning, they they showed that bond really well because she was the original owner of the horse. And then her father made the hard decision to sell Japaloup to Pierre. And you really saw her being so crestfallen. Like this was her best friend. And then he was going away. And then when Pierre saw that, you know, the only one to really get through to this horse was her and then giving her the job of being his caretaker, she really lit up. And then the only other thing we really saw about her was when she was a wild child at the okay. cafe, giving the gypsy blood, which was great.
0: <laughs> so much smoking in this movie. <laughs> In like the, the teammate who was smokeless, Oh my gosh, in the hotel. <laughs> and the, yeah, like you were saying, Jill, the, the teammate is smoking as he is riding the horse.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I love the
1: Rafael's grandfather who says, oh, she has gypsy blood. Like, oh boy.
0: But he also had one of the best lines in the movies where he starts complaining about the Americans and someone says, no, that writer's German. And he says, <laughs> same thing. <laughs> So he's a man after your own heart, Ellison. I know. I said, oh, he also reminded me of the brother from Cutting Edge, you know, the oh smart, God. the smart aleck in the bar. There always has to be a smart aleck in the bar.
2: The movie had enough poignant moments to really keep you almost on the edge of your seat when they went to the first Olympics and they were doing really well. And it came down to Pierre and then the horse causes Pierre to fall. And he just loses all the chance to do anything. That was pretty shocking. I think they did a really good job portraying that episode really well. And also the fire. I mean, the fire was really crazy. I mean, when the stalls the that the horses were in were at a gas station and the, all of a sudden they were driving by in a different car and saw that it was, it was on fire
0: and they had to get all the horses out. Do we know if that really happened? Because it feels like they would not have included that incident without that having actually happened. It seems so specific.
2: I was trying to look at some background information before we started and I couldn't find anything, but it seemed like it may have happened.
0: Because how horrific that they're trying to get the horses out of the trailer and he gets the horse out, but then Jabalup runs into the highway Mm -hmm. But of course, the point of that scene being that Pierre is then able to talk Jopaloupe down and they're connected and they are one. They are a team, which was beautiful.
2: Oh, we also forgot the trope of the bad coach. (laughs) I have to say that trope,
0: that didn't bother me as much simply because it was such a tiny part of the story. It's basically two scenes and then he's done. It's an He's just a bad coach. I don't know how evil he is.
2: Well, I had the question because when they showed Japalou getting injured potentially at one of the meets and then they threw up the thought that one of the other Competitors on his same team saw the coach map out the course, and he kind of almost indicated that he mapped it out incorrectly. And then the question was, was it done on purpose so that Jopalup would not succeed, or was it just, he just screwed up? So I thought that was kind of interesting that they almost pointed out that the coach was actually against Pierre and Jopaloup. And I thought it was also interesting that the reason I think that Pierre stayed with Jopaloup that long was because he owned the horse. Because other riders, if they weren't gelling well and performing well. If they didn't own their horse, they would have just got moved to a different horse. Where Pierre, because he owned the horse, he dictated who rode him. And if he wanted to ride him, he was going to keep riding him. So I thought that was really
0: interesting. That was a major component, I thought. I hope horse people like the riding scenes because as a non-horse person, I thought they were shot very, very well. And I got a sense of what the tactics are. And are you going to be aggressive on time? Are you going for clean? How many strides between obstacles? I thought that was very well done, and I learned something about the sport, which I always love to do with a sport movie.
1: Right, and one of the things I also liked is the different angles they shot the jumps from. So sometimes it was underneath, sometimes it was from a side, sometimes it was from the back end. It was nice, and it changed it up, so it didn't always feel like the same competition.
2: And I think the most important thing with that too is that the, the most of the people involved in the movie were horse people. So the director was an equestrian. Guillaume Canet was a horseman. So was the woman who played his wife, Nadia. So there was so many equestrians on this film that I think that's probably what helped make the equestrian scene so vibrant and true to life. Guillaume Canet had actually given up on his equestrian c- career way before the movie. And then he had to get back in shape before they started filming. And he did all his, he did all his jumping and you could see that. I mean, they didn't cut away. You could tell it was him doing all the jumping, which was really interesting. And it it just seemed very, lifelike. You were there with him in the moment when he was doing
0: everything. And on that note of lifelike, I thought the Olympic scenes were very well done. They obviously had permission. They used the rings. They used the official soul emblems, the official Los Angeles emblems. And it felt like those Olympics did. Like when they showed the L.A. crowd, it looked like the L.A. crowd. When they showed the soul crowd, it looked like the soul stadium. So that I thought was very good.
1: And they did a good recreation of the actual jumps in Seoul. They've got some clips on YouTube of him doing that final round. And like, wow, they really replicated those jumps very well.
2: Yeah, I read an article online before we started, and it said that they painstakingly recreated that course so it looked
0: like it did. Thankfully, it did not have the Tokyo obstacles. (laughs) <laughs> and the sumo wrestler. <laughs> what would Chapaloup have done with that?
1: And if we can go back to accuracy, what I'm curious about is the story of him deciding, okay, I'm going to sell Joppa We're not working out. And the Americans want to buy him. Enter Donald Sutherland again. Then the sale falls through because the horse has... He had a blood. He had like a tick blood disease. Mm-hmm. Wait, I wrote it down.
0: It's EP is the abbreviation. Yes.
1: Yes. So he's living with EP. And I I did go off on a little tangent with what is this? And, you know, it was enough to the Americans to go, yeah, we're not buying this horse. And Pierre was just like, "Eh, it's not not a big deal. He's living with it.
2: Well, when you're spending that kind of money, I guess the whole point is you want to have a clean, healthy animal because maybe mm -hmm. it's not as cut and dry, that he could live with it moving forward.
0: I made a very strange jump with that. I thought there was a problem bringing that horse into the United States because of that. Once you know a horse has that contamination, for lack of a better word, was there issues. But then he was allowed to go to Korea for the Olympics. So I don't know if that was really true or if it is like Fran said, if you're going to pay 400K for a horse, you want him perfect.
1: Right, because I thought that as well. I thought that traveling would be an issue, and then I was like, "Well, but he went to Seoul, so that would be an issue anyway." I didn't quite understand that. I think it also felt like they needed a convenient out for him keeping the horse, and that just happened to fit. Whether or not it was true, I'd I'd love to find out. I but, believe it was um, in
2: my research. He did okay. have it. Yep, in what I've read, he did have it. So, and that's okay. what made the Americans. Wow. Decide not to purchase him. In light of the fact that he had it, question really becomes, would Pierre have stopped the deal anyway and had a change of heart if he didn't have that escape route? I don't know. He said it himself. He was completely embarrassed and ashamed on worldwide TVs. They Everybody showed how miserably he ended up. So, he really was not in a place to continue moving forward with the sport. He was really ready to give it up. But, you know, the really question was would he have continued if the Americans didn't give him an easy out? It's a good question.
0: I thought it was very interesting when they were doing the scene with the press, and Pierre was talking about how the press was just attacking him for all these losses. And I was thinking to myself, you're an equestrian. How much of a big deal? is this? And then I found out that Chapeloup had a retirement party at the Eiffel Tower. Oh yeah, he was it, a big deal. It was a big big deal. So the story that they show of him just being vilified in the press was probably accurate.
2: Yeah, I mean they I gave think a horse
0: that... a retirement party at the Eiffel
2: <laughs> Tower. There was a statue of him at the Olympic Museum for a long time too until they brought it back to Pierre's home. But yeah, it's being in the United States, you know, where we have so much emphasis on different sports. For us in the Olympics, you think in the Summer Olympics, you think track and field, you think swimming. You think gymnastics. Unfortunately, the equestrian events kind of take a back seat. Whereas I don't know how they fall, you know, with the Europeans. I mean, Europe has had such a long history of equestrian events, and people have been riding horses in Europe way longer than they've ever had in the Americas. That we know of. So you wonder how important the sport is to certain cultures. I mean, it, it sounded like it was a big deal to the French. I mean, they did not like losing at all. Right. And when you look at the medal counts in
1: Seoul, France only won 16 medals the whole games and six of them were gold and one of them was for Jacques Loup. And then the U.S., who finished third in the medal table, they got 94 medals, 36 of them gold. In our country, we're so used to winning. So I, I wonder if it's a, we have a champion for once in, a, in in who knows how long, and we're just trying to rally all behind that champion. And it's a perfect little
0: horse.
2: <laughs> and Pierre, too, he was such a flawed individual. He was so complex and flawed, yet you wanted a root for him. You wanted him to succeed. You know, he was likable enough. That you wanted to see him do his best with his horse. Or other characters we've seen, you know, you could care less, you know, how they do. But for him, I was like, come on, man, get with it. Find some communion with
0: your horse. You have to bond with the horse so you can win. <laughs> I wonder how many horses they used in the film. Because I had, I didn't notice, oh, that horse looks a little different. I mean, it well, was a very... Distinct looking horse.
2: Yes. And I just read an article before we went on, and they used, I believe, five or six horses. They were all different breeds. So they were a little concerned because they said they used a smaller horse that looked more like Jopaloup for the more close shots. But then they used a larger Andalusian horse in the jumping because the one that looked the most like Jopaloup was older so they didn't want to stress the horse too much. So I thought that was really interesting that they did use a couple of horses as Jopaloop during the film. So spoiler alert, at the LA Games, he has such a rotten fall and it does not place in the medal count. So he goes back to Seoul and the team from France actually place his third in the team equestrian jumping event. And then Pierre and Loup actually take the gold for their last ride in the individual equestrian jumping event. And what I thought was very sweet and also true to life was that after he received his medal, he did place it in the horses, the strappings, and had Japaloup actually rock, wear his gold medal as they trotted around the rank when they won. But can we talk about that last jump?
0: Where, <laughs> where he, where he had scaled watch- the Grand Canyon across the jump? <laughs> With his
1: arms in the air. <laughs> like, I've done it! And I had to watch the real race a couple of times like, huh. He's not doing it there. How would you let go of
2: your horse's reins? <laughs> he knew control he had that it. Jill. He knew he had it.
0: When the power of muscles. the thighs. Yeah,
2: really great thigh muscles. <laughs> That's where it's at.
0: That was probably the only schmaltzy moment that yeah. they really just <laughs> leaned in. But,
2: but, but actually, yeah, overall. Fun fact, go ahead. I looked up a pier in another article, and him and Nadia are divorced. No, and then I was trying to find some information on Nadia, and I and she really didn't come up on online. So, and Lisa was indeed their child. They only had one child.
0: So, I wonder what happened. But we we do know what happened to Jacques. Three months after he retired to the farm, he had a heart attack and died. Yeah at 16. Yeah. So that was a little sad. He didn't get a very long retirement. No. I don't know, know if left they that used part out
2: to sire more horses. They don't really say in any of the articles that I read. I would assume that they would have just to continue that good jumping
0: line. I don't know if they had a chance if he was only retired for three months. True. I don't know how many stud options he had. And also he wasn't genetically, he should not have been as good a horse as he was. And that was what they were saying so often. His temperament was not good. His size was too small. Mm-hmm. There was so much about this horse that was wrong. And yet there he was with the gold medal. So I don't know how, I again, I'm not a horse person, so horse people correct me, but would he <laughs> have been in demand as a sire?
2: You would have think just from the med- all the medals all the success he had that somebody would have said, you know what, we want to put him to stud. The tough thing about doing a
1: language or a French movie is that it's harder to do the research because probably so much of it is in French and so much of the mm. articles that would have talked about him
2: are in French and that it's just, just tough to find. Oh, another but- fun fact is that Guillaume Canet actually started horse jumping again. After the film. So he actually went back into competitive horse jumping. I don't know how long he did, but he actually went back and tried his
0: hand at it again. So I thought that was kind of interesting too. It's a nice movie filled with tropes. You know what's going to happen when you sit down and start. And I did not care. I really, really enjoyed it.
2: No, it was a pleasure no. to watch from start to finish. It really was. I mean, and some people may say, oh, well, it's a foreign film and you have to rely on subtitles, but it didn't feel difficult to watch. It just was a very enjoyable film. And who doesn't love a winner? Exactly.
1: Exactly. I would agree on both of those counts, but the way they put the movie together isn't heavy-handed. No. And And that, I think, made... They, they just got the right touch with it.
2: All right, Fran, thank you so much. What's on tap for our next movie? So our next movie is called Zero to Hero and is about the first Olympian from Hong Kong to win a gold medal in track and field. So I look forward to watching that as well. Excellent. Thank you so much, Fran. We'll see you next time. Great. Sounds good.
1: Thank you, Fran. Our movie club featuring Zero to Hero will be later in the spring. That sound means it is time for our history moment. All year long, we are featuring Soul 1988, as it is the 35th anniversary of those games. My turn for a story, and because we did Loop, I wanted to stay in the world of Equestrian, And I wanted to talk a little bit about the dressage competition. And West Germany was the defending champions. They weren't at Moscow 1980, but they had won gold in 1976. So they are kind of a powerhouse team in the making. Maybe we'll find out. But leading the team is the veteran... Uh, writer Reiner Klimke, who is in his sixth Olympics, he started competing in 1960 when he competed in the adventing competition in Rome. He switched to dressage, which is actually how he got his career start in the sport. And he did dressage for 64, 68, and 76. There's a little gap in there, and I'm not quite sure why. But this is one of those careers that is so long lasting; it's amazing. At L.A. in 1984, he rode the horse Ehrlich. They won double gold, and they were hoping to repeat in 1988. At Seoul, they had a new competition format. The Grand Prix was shortened to seven minutes, which made the PF and passage elements more important. And the top 18 and anybody who tied them advanced to the final round, but there was a stipulation that countries could only have three riders in the final. So Reiner Klimka placed seventh in qualifying, but he was the fourth-ranked oh, German. So no finals for him, no repeat for him in the individual competition. Who rose to the top? That would be 21-year-old first-time Olympian, Nikola Upov. She was riding the horse Rembrandt, which was her very own horse much like shop Lube. I mean, we have a lot of uh, in- interesting horses in this competition. Rembrandt was a gelding who was a handful and he was very unpredictable. He would either win or he would come in last place. So the Upov family thought about selling him much like the movie situation. She did hang on to him. He started Grand Prix level events in 1987. Oh, so brand new. Brand new here. Got a first
0: oh. place on this first one. This is my kind of horse.
1: (laughs) It also might be your kind of horse because, well, not because he was tough to deal with because you were not tough to deal with, but he would only practice when he was relaxed. And that made team prep difficult because other people on Team West Germany didn't understand their situation.
0: So Rembrandt had a little bit of a a personality.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So the other teammates didn't understand what was going on got upset with her. She got angry, almost left Seoul, but our friend Reiner Klimke persuaded her to stay. Oh, he
0: was kind of fatherly with her, wasn't he? Oh, I like Mm -hmm. that.
1: Exactly. At Seoul, Rembrandt became a sensation. He wasn't perfect, but he showed himself impressively and Upov handled him really well, so well that they didn't look like they were working. And Rembrandt truly danced in a way that no horse had ever done before. I know. I see this look on your face. I wish I wish the listeners could see it because it reminds me of Tokyo
0: where you just fell in I love did. with Versace. I,
1: I how did. I did. And,
0: and just, you know, it is really beautiful. And that his name is Rembrandt and he was particularly beautiful. It is like a movie. Why haven't we made this movie? We need more horse movies, know. apparently.
1: So Upov wins the individual gold. In the team competition, we also have a new format. Four riders, but only the top three count towards the final score. Upov gets the best score on the team, followed by Monaco Teodoroscu on Ganymedes and on katrin Linzenhoff on Courage. Klimka's score
0: is the one yes, that's dropped. Yes, but he was still the most important person there because he seems to have kept the team cohesion going.
1: Yes, I would agree. The team wins the total event. Upov has double gold. Her victory starts a dominance by field dressage riders in the sport and even with that she and rembrandt sets new standards in the sport that no one can touch they are just amazing and captivate audiences and judges for years to come they went on to repeat double gold at barcelona 1992 they did compete at atlanta 96 but he was really on the decline then after the preliminaries he was in eighth place and he did not pass the veterinary inspection, so Upoff decided to retire from competition. Rembrandt, the horse, retired later that year and passed away in two thousand one. We cannot underestimate what a popular and extraordinary horse Rembrandt was, according especially like when he died, just the accolades kept pouring in, much like for Joploop. People were just enthralled with this horse. FEI judge Nick Williams judged them both at Seoul and Barcelona at the Olympics, and both times he gave them a perfect 10. And when Rembrandt died, he said in Horse and Hound, quote, I have had the privilege to judge many great horses, but Rembrandt was a special horse and an exhilarating horse to judge as he epitomized impulsion with absolute lightness. Within two strides, he was in maximum extension and in, within two strides and maximum collection with lightness but you can never see nicola doing anything they had an amazing telepathic rapport that Seoul was really the start of the west german team or the, and that which became the german team really dominating the sport since 1988 the only time germany has not won gold in this event was in 2012 when they were upset by team gb
0: Welcome to Shukvlaston.
1: It is the time of the show where we check in with our team, Keep the Flame Alive. These are past guests of the show who make up our citizenship of Shukvlaston. What's going on in Shukvlaston this week?
0: So rifle shooter Tim Sherry competed in Austria at the Maiden Cup, had the second and third highest scores in qualifying, and finished the finals in fourth and fifth place. He went on to Germany for the H&N Cup, A little bit of a tougher time there, but he adjusted his warm-up for the mixed team event, which helped him start the match better and finish less than a point out of the finals. And he is very happy with the start of his competitive season.
1: Yay! Wheelchair curler Steve Empt was named to Team USA for the World Championships, which take place in Richmond,
0: British Columbia,
1: March 4th through the 12th.
0: Ryan Shane won bronze in the relay at the ISU Junior Short Track World Championships, and he'll be competing at the Senior World Cup event in Dresden, Germany this weekend.
1: Also competing this weekend are beach volleyball player Kelly Chang and partner Sarah Hughes.
0: They will be at the Doha Elite 16 beach volleyball event. And we've got some listener updates as well. Listener Manu has been at the European Figure Skating Champs and posting some great video footage on our Facebook group. Listener Dan
1: went to the Winter Universiade Games in Lake Placid.
0: And listener Meredith has been glued to the U.S. Figure Skating Champs this year and next year has noted that they'll be in Columbus, Ohio. This could mean a meetup. So keep an eye on the Facebook group for information on that. Super
1: fan. Sarah and her son went to a Team USA sled hockey exhibition in Dallas.
0: Did we get him on the sled and just with, and had him laughing the whole time? Oh,
1: my gosh. He was waving and waving to all the athletes. But I would love to see him on a sled. I bet he would just love tooling around on the thing with the sticks.
0: And listener Nick, who worked making uh, floats at Rose Bowl, spotted our Shukflistani John Neighbors, while decorating the Rose Bowl Tournament of Roses Parade float. So if
1: you do anything sports-related, let us know. Wear your Keep the Flame Alive shirt and snap pictures and share them with us. You can post them in our Facebook group or tag us on Instant Twitter. You can also email them to us, and we will possibly share them on the show and in our newsletter.
0: So the tag is Flame Alive Pod, and the Facebook group is Keep the Flame Alive Podcast Group. All right, the sign-up
1: for the first round of the Paris 2024 ticket lottery has ended. The organizing committee president, Tony Estengue, has announced that over 2.5 million people have signed up for this. And results from the lottery will be announced in mid-February. 3 million of the 10 million tickets will be available in this first round. And because you are going to get a three-pack, obviously not all 2.5 million will get to get tickets in this round there's still more chances so don't worry if you do but if you do get in the the round let us know because we'll be very excited for anybody who gets tickets in this first round
0: and speaking of buying your tickets, the organizing committee has launched a partnership with the charity Secours Populaire, and it encourages ticket buyers to donate an additional two euros, which will be used to pay for tickets and travel expenses for families, young people, senior citizens, and people with disabilities who could not otherwise afford to go to the competition. So, if you are selected in the first round, there'll be a little option to add two euros to your purchase price. I love this
1: concept, but as we have talked offline, we don't love the idea that this concept is being funded for by other attendees and that the organizing committee is not
0: making a donation for this. Right. Just donate the tickets. Oh, no, you pay for them for other people, which I guess, you know, they got to make their money somehow. And then you can feel good about having donated your money. There you go.
1: And hopefully I mean, the thing is that it does provide opportunities for people to go who would not normally be able to go to the games and you never know what could happen. We were at Podfest and one of the speakers there grew up in the projects in Brooklyn and then somehow got introduced to table tennis and became a very competitive table tennis player. So it, it opens doors for people. Also exciting, the Paralympic schedule is out. So they're going to be lots of finals in the evening on france time so swimming bacha goalball blind football will all have their finals in the evening which for europe will also be great because you're on prime time and probably a good chunk of africa too because they'll be in the same time zone
0: the u.s we're looking at what afternoon late morning which is not bad no i mean it's better than what we were dealing with with china and tokyo when you and i were up at three o'clock in the morning right sorry australia (laughs) It's our
1: turn this time. Right. The last day of competition is also going to feature mainly women's events. So that will be really exciting. They'll use it as a way to celebrate female athletes. Tickets will go on sale this fall. Prices are going to be as low as 15 euros. So we will have a link to the schedule in the show notes. Also exciting Paralympic news for LA 2028. They have selected the sports for the Paralympic program. It's going to be all the sports that are going to be at Paris, and then the host has the option of adding para climbing
0: or para surfing if they want to. And maybe both. We'll find out. Yeah, when I was looking at the schedule, I was thinking, what's different? <laughs> and it really wasn't very different, which I guess is nice that these sports have become established enough that we have this consistency in the program.
1: But also, it seems like they're getting into the host city is allowed to add a few sports if they want to. It's just that the IPC has narrowed down the ones for them. If they took both para climbing and parasurfing, it would have a 24-sport program, 33 sports applied to be at LA 2028. So it's exciting that there's so much activity in the parasport world. It'll be interesting to see how that program expands, especially with trying to keep athlete numbers not at bay, but trying not to make it Be such a huge event, but I think the the summer games probably still has a lot of room to grow.
0: And all the classification changes because they're coming out with a new, whole new classification system for LA. So this is going to be fun to keep an eye on.
1: And that will do it for this week.
0: Let us know what you thought of Jopaloop. You can email us at flamealivepod at gmail.com. Call or text us at 208 352 6348. That's 208 flame it. Our social handle is at flamealivepod and be sure to join the Keep the Flame Alive podcast group on Facebook. And if you want to hear more from me, be sure to to sign up for our weekly newsletter, which is filled with other fun stories about this week's episode. You can sign up at flamealivepod.com.
1: And if you don't get that newsletter, get it, because it's always entertaining. I never know what's in it, and I get excited every time it shows up every week. All right, next week. uh, I'm so excited about this. I mean, I know I'm excited about every interview, but this was one where we had no idea this existed, and it's an incredible topic to talk about. We're talking with anti-corruption lawyer Andy Spaulding about the efforts being made to get corruption out of hosting the games. Fascinating conversation. Be sure to join us for that next week. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive.